You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Sex education and more sex education. We're seeing major changes. New Jersey is a second state to implement a law mandating LGBTQ curriculum here in California, where I hail from. We have seen kindergartners being forced to be exposed to the LGBTQ agenda. Why does it matter? Marriages are on the decline. Census data actually is showing that there has been a major fall in the number of kids here in the United States. Marriages are breaking. We have an increase in loneliness. We have an increase in mental health issues, sexually transmitted diseases. I could go on and on. Why does the Catholic Church care so much about this? To join me today is Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy, who is an expert in character formation, but also has done a tremendous amount of work, including your dissertation surrounding the topic of sex education exactly. and the responsibility of parents. Exactly. Which, yeah, it is primal as well as the uh, education of the entire child in all subjects. Absolutely. So coming up, we're going to be talking a lot about sex education, who should be doing it, what are the curriculums and resources out there, and maybe, you know, a better idea of what's actually happening in the curriculum. And they're so scandalous, you guys. I had to turn off my screen and just listen, and I was cringing as I was listening to some of these videos that are being implemented for high school students and middle age, you name it. That's right. And yeah, and, and for those even up to the age of 22, they cover a variety of subjects. And some topics look enough and actually in some way beneficial, but in the end, I don't think it's really directing itself to any real cause for the church or, or for the good. You know, I want to tie this back into the whole topic of marriage right now, because fewer and fewer people are getting married. We've seen a crisis of vocations, the religious life and the priesthood. Why is that? I think because so many people, and I'd like to get your take on this, Dr. Chavez, they're mutilating either their bodies physically or how they treat their bodies. You know, through healthcare, we believe that hormonal contraception, our reproductive rights, you know, people are getting visectomies all of the time. People think that freedom is the like live all be all in terms of sexuality and so you can do whatever you want education has be really confused the difference between maleness and femaleness right. and even how the bodies interact with each other um, women and men but especially women are challenged with facing the idea of a career versus children or even education versus children uh, quality of life has become a huge argument not just for the quality of life of the child but the quality of life for me and what type of quality of life I want. So maybe I only want to have one child so that I can maintain a certain quality of life. Sure. Which ultimately brings us back to the idea of comfort. And unfortunately, we use the excuse of, well, maybe I'm just not ready yet. Yeah, I think what's happening is we're, we're now in a society that's radically individualistic. Mm-hmm. Everything is oriented toward oneself. And in order to really have a proper perspective on marriage, it has to be other-centered. And in some way, even to drill down even that, to to have a proper perspective on marriage, we have to see how it is good for the society and how the society needs to be supporting it. I think the problem is we've come down now to making 
vocation just a personal thing mm. and not other-centered and communi- community-centered. And so I think that really affects uh, a proper view of uh, its place in society, which even drills down to some of these issues we're having with sex education all the rest. We're not seeing these things as they're affecting society as a whole. Absolutely. And, you know, you touched on this idea, and we're going to talk about this in the next episode that we do together this week. We talked about how a lot of people are looking at, you know, marriage as a personal thing, essentially. That's right. It's interesting because we're going to be discussing priestly celibacy. And I think the same type of idea enters in there. Well, it's personally what I want to seek after. Yeah. Yeah. With priesthood celibacy, I think we have uh, some other issues there, too. I think, I think, but in, in alliance with those dis- who are, who are, in the priesthood and struggle with celibacy or seminarians and all those in the in who discerning marriage and whatnot, I think some of the fundamental problems are the same. There's lack of proper of human development at the earlier stages, and so the the needs of the child probably weren't met um, individually, communally, socially, even within the family. The families are torn apart, and so I think there's so many. Uh, reasons and aspects and causes for which the families break down the person, their, their identity is broken down. So it's hard to raise uh, yourself to identity as a priest or a married person if you haven't established that identity, maybe just as a son or a daughter or just as a man or a woman. At the whole heart of the question is, who am I? What am I made for? What are my sexual desires oriented toward? These are all questions that distinctly set us apart as Catholics. And so whether it's ourselves or maybe the young people that we're responsible for, friends, family members, we need to be able to have these conversations to help other people understand this is what sets us apart as a Christian people. That's right. And to drill that down even again, I think it's it's somewhat of an orientation I think people need to have, young people need to have when they're being raised, is that marriage is ordered toward procreation. And mm-hmm. there's a glory in having children and fostering children, raising children, and having children around one's home. And so I think that glory, that that center of marriage is not is not very well inculcated now in homes and in education. And I think that will too affect um, a man's disposition to enter the priesthood. In fact, at the same level, even a woman's disposition to enter consecrated life, because there is something about fostering that generosity of having children and serving in that way that's fundamental and basic to a priestly or a religious vocation, my you're, opinion. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. Again, I come back to this question, why? In order for this to all stop with the sex education, it has to stop at us. We have to see that sex is a good thing. It actually relates to our happiness, both here and now in the day to day and in the longevity of life, but ultimately in life with Christ in heaven, because it ultimately relates to the soul. You know, we try to separate body and soul, but the soul has an eternal destiny. That's right. And so in in light of that, Timory, I think what you're directing yourself toward is somewhat of an argumentation or orientation to the fact that uh, sexuality does have a purpose, and that purpose is for for family, and that purpose um, is God-ordained. And so if I think we we leave out that argument to see how it is intrinsically ordered in that way, then when we come down to just parental's rights or somebody's right to educate or or whatnot and all these other arguments which dissuade us or take us away from the core of the the position that sexuality really is ordered toward family life and its proper order is, is always aimed in that direction. Absolutely. Well, and as you talk about purpose here, we struggle right now to have purpose in everything we do you know in fact you know people are so stressed out they're so overwhelmed they don't have deep friendships anymore they're you know marriages their relationships with family members are struggling and i think it's because there's a lack of purpose there's a lack lack essentially of intentionality when we, that's right you know and here's a good example i think and it's something i really try to work on 
being intentional about what I'm working at when so that I'm not distracted. You know, things such as having a time blocked off calendar has been something for me that's been so important since I've been in college, because if I don't know what I'm working on, I'm going to be distracted by anything. And so we could talk about that from the perspective of task saturation, but we can also talk about it from the perspective of our whole life and what it's oriented toward and what its purpose is. That's right. And so for that reason, when people consider marriage, they really have to have a certain intentionality that, hey, this is inherently about building a family. Mm -hmm. And so I think uh, some people can actually easily lose that when they make it about finances or when they make it about, I don't know, the wedding dress or plants or whatnot. You know, there's so many things that you know well that can distract you from that kind of intentionality to see how this is all oriented toward, toward children having a family and fostering life. You know, ultimately, at the heart of this, as we keep coming back to family life, marriage in marriage is the ability to create new life, co-create new life with God. And there's this responsibility for an immortal soul, for a child that is called to be raised up, to be created for the kingdom of heaven. And if we're going to properly raise people up for the kingdom of heaven, that requires truth that requires helping them to understand that they're a transcendent being with a greater purpose which is why when we look at new jersey this is actually a really big threat and it's not just happening in new jersey and california but it's already being implemented in sure unknowingly to many parents in the sex education of children where literally laws are mandating or schools are taking it upon themselves to implement curriculums that give no option to opt your children out or even let you know what's being stated and it's really providing adult level content i mean in fact i was reading a quote dr chavez by one person who was really defending the new new jersey mandate for the lgbt curriculum and he's saying well i you know he's an adult who lives a same-sex lifestyle and he's talking all about himself and about how he wished he had learned more about himself and that breaks my heart because he's talking yeah. about a gay identity, not about himself as a transcendent human being. Yeah, that, that's unfortunate. Again, so, y- yeah, you bring up a number of different problems here. And I think things have gotten so to the fact that um, these people just want uh, not just that these lifestyles be uh, permitted, but that they even be celebrated. Yes. And that, that that the intention is then in order to get into this uh, disposition of, of celebrating uh, these kinds of deviant lifestyles, they want um, they want education actually permeate every phase or facet of a school life. So now textbooks are being written in history and economics and grammar. Even I was told by one professor, even his the language text, he teaches Spanish at a high school <laughs> and college level. Even that they're trying to inculcate transgender references in those texts. You know, this has been why our show here, Trending with Timory, has focused so much on the gender issue. I hear from people in the workforce and people in the university setting that every field of education, of every various office within wherever you might be working, this agenda is being forced. I mean, a college student can't even take a college course anymore. English, history, and math somehow without this gender ideology being forced down their throats. And so my challenge to you is if this gentleman's talking about how he wished he learned more about himself, how are we teaching young people today about themselves? Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. 
You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. You know, as I look at the crisis over sexual education, and California has been there in the midst of it for years, and it's so fascinating to me because a lot of those parents who have said, you know, great, you know, my kids are learning about puberty in school. I don't have to talk about it. It's more comfortable that way. Okay, great. You know, they have, at least they have the kids separated, male and female. Fine. They get to discuss this. You know, some parents will say, you know, I'm fine with my kids learning about their reproductive health and, you know, how to use a condom, about sexually transmitted diseases. I'm grateful that the schools are teaching that. But now, A lot of people are waking up and they're saying, no, this isn't okay." There's the example right now in California of Senate Bill 673. And this was really put together and called for by one mom who was okay with all of that until the gender ideology issue ended up being forced into the schools. And she realized, in fact, the schools aren't even letting us know that this is changing and they're not giving us the option to opt our children out of it. Yeah, that's that's really a shame. I mean, parents, so so parents are being violated a number of levels. I mean, obviously the child's being violated, but the parental rights to educate their child are being overlooked. And now I'm to understand. I mean, some some school districts are actually ignorant of that parents can opt out, but many are very aware. I mean, there's that one California Education Code, which is five one two four zero, that does allow a child to be excused from any part of a school's instruction in health that conflicts with the religious training and beliefs or the personal moral convictions of their own parents. So that ability to opt out is there. And so sadly, parents are being misinformed about their rights. So the Senate Bill 763, in Cal- or sorry, 673, I might have that backward. I need to double check that one there. It's a Transparency, Equity, and Accountability Instructional Material Act. And essentially what it's doing is they're saying we need the option to opt out. We need transparency. Parents need to have the information provided to them and easily so that parents who are busy as well can at least receive the information online and decide if they want their child to or not to engage in this information. And what's interesting is they're actually only really focusing on up to about the middle school age range because a lot of people who are even in support of this new possible legislation are still okay with, you know, high school kids learning it all, being exposed to everything. Interesting. The sad thing is is that the school systems, the state of California, is not being forthright about what they're trying to do. And so they're they're taking all measures they can to hide this content from the parents. And the teachers are actually convinced that the parents really don't need to know much about the content at all. And I've heard even recently from the uh, Murrieta School District, of which I live near, that they publicly profess that, well, parents really have no rights in education. It's really up to us, the educators, who should be um, dictating what these children should be learning. You know, it's interesting. So at the beginning of last year, Year, actually 2019 we learned that in the uh, school districts some of the school districts in San Diego that the teachers were being brought into seminars and they were being taught by various advocates uh, for the LGBTQ type lifestyles that really the teachers should know that parents are essentially ill-equipped to deal with these issues they might even have sure. old-fashioned ideologies might be prejudiced because of religious or moral uh, viewpoints and so you know if a child comes and is living a certain type of alternative lifestyle with regard to their sexuality that the teacher should not inform the parents but instead filter them into organizations and clubs that promote 
and I will put this on my part and that's not what they say, but essentially lifestyles that are incredibly risky for minors, both sexually from the level of STDs, you know, I'm sorry, we'll get into this later, but the body doesn't work that way. You're more vulnerable for sexually transmitted diseases, both when you engage in sexual activity sooner, especially for women, because parts of the reproductive area is more sensitive to STDs, but also uh, from a same sex interaction level, the body is not meant to work that way and so diseases are taking place in certain areas that leave you so vulnerable yeah this is all that's all very tragic and so you, you see how the deviation and how things are, are handled in terms of sexual deviation how, how the deviation for proper practice and teaching and responsibility really leads to many of these problems but the teachers inherently do have a responsibility when they see these kinds of acts on the part of children that they're teaching or leading they do have a responsibility to confront the parents because if there's anything a parent has a more intimate interest in in the raising and education of their child is things uh, pertaining to sex or sexuality and so that, that again in fact one might even argue that's even more inherent than faith on one level because the parents are again connected very intimately and directly because on, on the sexual level. So, so it's be, it behooves them to have that, have that right and that duty to educate in that area and be responsible in that area. You know, here's the reality. If we don't form ourselves and we don't help to form others, especially those who we're responsible for, nothing's going to change. We need to know what the church teaches and we need to know what sex is for. And so it's interesting because I have one of the episodes we did on trending where I said, well, what is sex for? It's probably the most popular, one of the most popular episodes we've done. It's on YouTube as well. And people watch it all the time because they go, well, what is sex for? I mean, I know adult Catholics who have been married for years and they still haven't quite put sex within the proper context of the church not just their own feelings and experience of it that's right and i think really that's because of an orientation that's uh throughout their life you know which even the popes talked about pius left the pius the 12th how the main orientation the formation of a child as Pius XII says, form girls to be wives and mothers and, and men or boys to be husbands and fathers. And so there used to be an orientation in education and development and formation to form for fatherhood and motherhood. Now it's mainly formed for the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And while in the marketplace, it's about what you want to do, what you want to pursue, uh, what you feel is right for you. So there's such, again, a, such a self-orientation toward what one wants to do and not really that orientation toward family, family life and the values and the, the real happiness that's found there. If we do not form ourselves in the way of the church, the way of the world is already forming us. Television, relationships, friendships, the brokenness and sexual relationships and marriages all around us. We need to understand what the church is teaching with regard to sexuality. And so that's part of the reason why I tend to kind of review some of what's out there. And by the way, if you're listening or just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy is here with me. Uh, And you need to know about this. So I was looking at some of the new enhanced sex ed programs by Planned Parenthood. And I was watching and sometimes just listening. Uh, I was shocked by these programs that were meant to be for basically 16 to 22 year olds. So in the high schools. Sure. And just the level of exposure focusing so much on uh, sexual fluidity, uh, you know, same-sex relationships of both men and women, opposite-sex relationships, the conversations about condoms. I mean, I was yeah, multiple partners, multiple partners, I and. Mean, I was just so surprised by their only thing that they emphasize really is consent. And That's right. consent yeah. is all that matters. And in one respect, 
that's something that's really important that more people do need to be equipped on. And so in a sense, you know, props to Planned Parenthood for making sure that there's really an emphasis on making sure absolutely your partner's okay with what you're doing. That's right. Yeah. But that's not enough. That's right. That's where it's a problem because they're still encouraging a basically behaviors that are medically risky, spiritually risky, long term risky for even being able to have a good emotional relationship, a marriage, uh, good health. And there are so many risks involved in these very graphic uh, programs that they're implementing. Yeah. So when we think about consent, really, what does that mean? Well, my, my judgment consents to doing a certain action. And so that leads into what freedom is. And so I get, that's what they want to elude. Well, if there's consent here, then oh, then everybody's acting freely but and openly. But that's not really true because the consent, which should lead to freedom, really should be oriented to the true and the good. Mm-hmm. And so the freedom is only found when we're achieving the good and achieving the true. Mm-hmm. And going back to what you said earlier, yes, it's important, Timory. Yes, uh, Catholic parents do need to know, Christian parents need to know what the faith does teach, but they should also see that, well, the faith ultimately teaches what's already in the natural order. It's not just simply, uh, we believe in sexuality because of it's, it's simply divinely revealed, but it's written in our, our human nature, which makes it intrinsically inherently wrong. And I think we need to lean on that more and more and more to see how these are really deviations from the not just God's intention and commandments, but the order of nature itself. That really is our chief argument. And then that, all, you know, parental rights and all these other things come second. But we we must see that it's inherently against the natural order. When we talk about freedom, and I love how you kind of juxtapose freedom and consent, you talked about how freedom is for the good, and this is what we need to emphasize. Freedom is for something. It's not to run away from something. It's not a negative definition. Freedom is a positive definition right. that orients you toward what is good and true. And with that respect, we're also talking about how sex is essentially written into our bodies, into our nature. This is why I love doing sex education programs with youth. Mm. We can even, as Catholics, start from the premise of just how the body functions. You know, one of the things I'll talk a lot about with young people when I'm giving a presentation, and it's amazing because a lot of people don't realize this even, and it ties into the pornography issue, that the chemicals that are released during sexual intimacy, dopamine gives that sense of pleasure high serotonin gives that sense of serenity oxytocin bonds you to another person you sure. know, creates this relationship you know we have the endorphins that give us this little bit of you know pleasure high happiness make us feel good all of these chemicals are written into our body for when we engage in sexual intimacy specifically for the person or for the purpose of bonding us with a particular person for life helping us to overcome those difficulties within marital relationships and family relationships to help provide fidelity to one another and ultimately good parents and faithful parents to children. That's right. Parents who will stick around. And so, yes, there is so much in sexuality which is ordered toward the bonding of a parent that's so much so much needed in some way to be emphasized like you are right now because... Um, yeah, unless that's unless that is, then people won't see the comprehensive element that sexuality does entail because it does it does involve us in terms of body, soul, our will, our emotions, um, and and on these deep physiological levels that you're talking about. Coming up, we'll be talking about the Nutcracker. I know we're a little past the holiday season, but why does the Nutcracker matter right now with regard to Catholic schools, Catholic education, children, and sex? We'll be right back here on Trending with Timory. 
You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. So I've been looking at these sex ed videos by Planned Parenthood. I've been watching, you know, some of the sex ed programs that Vice has put together in partnership with Netflix. And as we're looking at all of these programs, what stands out, and you and I know this, it's no surprise, but it's also something that we don't always do a good job speaking to. And that is that the whole focus of sexuality in the secular world is pleasure. What makes you feel good? So as long as there's consent, what is pleasurable reigns. So talk to me about this here on Trending is Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. Yeah. And so in this case, yeah, the pleasure, you know, people think that this is something I want and wish and therefore I should be free to pursue this. And so, again, as we spoke about earlier, there's such a grave misuse of the word freedom instead of acting to the true and the good. It's more of people are looking at freedom more in terms of license Mm -hmm. to wish to do what they wish that to lead them to something to greater pleasure. And so, again, this is a deviation for what is true and the good and eventually will, especially in the areas of, of sexuality, will affect a person with negative effects. This focus on pleasure is so blatantly clear in the new Sex Explained series that's produced by Netflix and Vox together. I and mean, I remember when Netflix, it used to be, you know, we used to order the DVDs and you could That's get right. those DVDs and movies that you could never see that were so good, so pure, so just awesome stories. And now here's what they're producing. And they're talking about bondage, sexual fantasies, multiple partners. But you guys, we all know this and the young people know this too. If only we would appeal to it. We want more We want more than what the culture is offering. And that's why only when we have an authentic understanding of the church's teaching will we see the beauty of the love of spouses, the ability to create new life and the purpose in living your entire life as a gift of self. And so I want to just touch for a second on those four goods that we talk about in marriage of being free, total, faithful, and fruitful. That's right. Yeah, those sum up, again, what the order of sexuality really tries to to aim toward. There's something about the total gift of self that nothing is held back from the individual. And certainly in, in marriage, you always want to know that your spouse is giving themselves completely and not, not part way. Well, and think about this from the perspective of you as a child. Whatever your experience was with your own parents... And what you want in a relationship moving forward, kind of compare that. Think about how I want that love to be free, not to be forced, not to be manipulated. You know, maybe you've seen relationships that have been manipulated. This love should be freely given because when it's freely given, it is so much better. It's good. It's joyful. Not only that, you know, it should be total. There's nothing that is being held back. It's 100% of ourselves being given. And this is where we start to touch on the problems with, for example, condom use, not just contraception, but condom use, that barrier. There's a physical barrier between you and your partner that is saying, there's not quite everything that I'm willing to give you. And my poor mother's years when I talk about this part, but you know, when we talk about even studying sexual intimacy, and it's so interesting because I'll talk to people who have been sexually active before marriage, and they'll talk about the difference when they get married, and I'll hear from men who said, I actually never fully knew how great sex actually was because I was using various means 
to not completely commit to that person because I was afraid, you know, STDs, pregnancy, all these other things that come with it, but you weren't receiving the, I wasn't receiving the full experience is what they would share with me. Yeah. So in this, in light of this, Timory, I think just as a basic overall principle here, when things are not according to the right order, there is going to be somewhat of a frustration involved with the individual. That, mm-hmm. that, that sense of completion, sense of wholeness that you talked about earlier, uh, that sense of meaning is in some way lost and will manifest itself in some kind of frustration in the individual and a frustration in the relationship as well. And the difficulty is in marriages, these are often hard for couples to detect and become aware of. And so it's not until somebody actually can point out and help them see that frustration could show them maybe the, the misery or the discordance that's happening in their own relationship. Let's also talk about faithfulness. You know, faithfulness, I think, is something that all of us long for, that faithful and true friend who is always there by your side. Not saying that they're going to condone the imperfect and the bad and the sin and the vice, but they're going to be faithful to you and your development toward the good. They're going to be faithful to the marital relationship, to the sexual act. That fidelity that that spouse has no eyes for anyone other than you there's that fidelity, that's true love that that's you know right. Hollywood tries to portray, but yet it's what the church is saying, this is what you must have. That's right. And isn't it the case, Timory, that I think deep down in a woman's heart is knowing that she's not going to be abandoned. Right? And for I've, a lot of women, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that such that. So a man is to reassure the woman in his life um, through its sexuality is an expression that there, he is not going to abandon her. He will, will be with her in all things and at all times. Let's talk lastly about the fruitfulness within marriage. You know, people forget that this isn't only talking about children. You know, we're called to be open to life, always open to the gift of life that will be given to us. But also our marriage isn't just supposed to produce fruits in terms of creating new human beings, but in fashioning and caring for souls, the souls of the spouses for one another, of the spiritual children that come in and out of the home. I always think of my parents and they had so many friends, family members who would come in and out of their home who they really tried to foster goodness in for however long they would be there with us. That's right. That helps a couple bond. Again, as you say, just to expand upon what you're saying is when they do share in this, I'll use the word project of raising children and bearing new life. You know, when when parents are able, they can grow in many things, but when they share a common enterprise or a common task, in this case, uh, raising children, that tends to help them bond in a, in a far deeper way. And that goes back to the, the purpose for which the marriage is oriented. And I think people can more easily see purpose when they're sacrificing for the sake of others. That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy. Where can people learn more about you and your work? They can learn uh, about me at themensacademy.org. Themensacademy.org. Lots of resources, both text, they have books, they have DVDs, a podcast. So please go check it out at themensacademy.org. We want to talk a little bit about the Nutcracker. You know, me, for those who don't know, I grew up dancing, I think, over 17 years of very active. I think my last year of dance in high school, I was dancing close to 40 hours a week. I had the opportunity to dance with the Kirov, the Russian Ballet Company, in high school during their summer programs. And the Nutcracker is something that is near and dear to my heart, that magical fantasy world during Christmas where we get to step away for a minute to a different time, a different place place, beautiful music, and be awed by the talent on stage. Yet here we are in 2020, and there's a major debate because there was a school in Toledo, Ohio, who was taking 
uh, middle school kids to go and see the Nutcracker. And right before the curtains opened, the one of the chaperones decided to leave. And it was because they found out that the parents of Clara in the opening party scene would be portrayed as a same-sex couple. And they decided this isn't something that we're ready to expose the kids to. You know, adults might be able to handle that, but kids, young minds, were not going there. And it was so interesting, Dr. Chavez, I want to get your take on this, because what ended up happening is initially the account is, is that apparently reports say the principal supported this. And then after an alumni uh, basically came back criticizing the entire situation about, you know, being homophobic and not inclusive, essentially the principal came back out saying that this goes against some of their inclusion statements and non-discrimination policies and their code of ethics. And this is actually pointing essentially to a real crisis. Can Catholic schools maintain their Catholic identity, codes of conduct in a realm where everyone's focused on this whole idea of non-discrimination? Yeah, so this this is a very wide question. There's many different facets here. First of all, the chaperones did something which was uh, noble and right. They, according to their conscience, according to be consistent with Catholic teaching, as I understand it, took all the children out of the theater before the event even started, before yes. the play even started. So, you know, of course, chaperones usually, if they're volunteering, usually they're the more responsible ones, more responsible parents. And so they acted very responsibly here. And in, in this way, in this respect, they made this really a teaching moment in a way to show the kids, or I hope they explain later that, no, we can't see this improper, not according to our beliefs because of this same-sex couple. But um, it's sad that they weren't so supported by the president and that she herself, I, I would have a feeling, yes, as you, you mentioned, she probably advocated this in the beginning, but then later on, I think she was probably feeling for the pressure, not for this one moment on social media, but I think even the media mm-hmm. of that area, other parents, uh, other disgruntled alumni. And so, um, and then she, she caved in. Of course, you know, as is wont to do, you know, in leadership, we want to somehow keep a, a sense of peace or false peace. And so I think she was attempted in that area. But again, I think she should have upheld the high school beliefs, which were to uphold, you know, the Catholic Church. And they, they profess that even in their own mission statement. And that they will, you know, that they are there to uphold the teachings of the Catholic Church, that the children are to be educated accordingly. So in many ways, she, she acted really against their own mission statement. These are excellent opportunities when these challenging circumstances arise. And again, maybe you wouldn't have walked out of the nutcracker at this time. Maybe you would have stayed. Maybe you would have used it as a teaching opportunity. Maybe, you know, the kids didn't even notice that it was a married couple in the beginning. Again, I don't know. Maybe they had them kiss. Maybe they didn't. I don't know what was going to happen there. I do know in the performing arts world, they can go too far at times or make satire out of things they shouldn't be making satire out of. But here's the reality of the opportunity to teach, whether the kids did or didn't see. You know, we can go back to the teaching that men and women only can have babies. So the reality of them having Claire, well, there's still a mother and a father to that child, and the child should have a right to their mother and father. And we can talk about how sex really only works between a man and a woman. And if you show the body parts, you know, cartoon versions or whatever, depending on age appropriateness, we can show it only works in this way. And when there's any deviation, it's very harmful for the bodies, especially the bodies 
of women. And finally, just to kind of wrap up that point of a teaching moment, God created sex for marriage and it's meant to be unitive and procreative for the good of the spouses and for the creation of new human life. And so I'm really grateful for this article from Patrick Riley with First Things. He's the president of the Cardinal Newman Society, does an excellent explanation and really is there defending Catholic schools and their ability to live according to what the Catholic Church teaches and to really implement this within their schools. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. You know, we're living in a time where there is so much hostility to the Christian way of life. We've been talking, you know, this week about the idea of forced sex ed programs for young people. I mean, even kindergartners. We've also been talking about this idea that, you know, celibacy and uh, sex within marriage or even the idea of having, you know, a partner of the same sex is optional, let's say, for the Methodist church and their presbyters. Yeah, at the same time, there's another area where we're being attacked, and that has to do with health care. Health care is a big deal here in the United States, and we're going to discuss the new decade trends in American health care with Bradley Hahn, co-founder and CEO of Solidarity Health Share. Thanks for being with us, Bradley. Yes, thank you, Timory. You know, as we're looking at all of this, Solidarity Health Share is incredible because they're a Christian nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that actually offers an ethical and affordable alternative to traditional health insurance based on Catholic Church teachings. So just like we're talking about STDs and sexuality in the faith, we actually have to talk about our faith with regard to healthcare. So we're actually seeing coming up this new year as we're entering a new decade, major, I think, conversation took place from two. 2010 on over health care and really uh, moral responsibilities for Catholics. Now that debate is continuing. What can we expect to see over the next couple of years, Bradley? Well, I think the, the primary concern that we're going to see in health care and the debate that's going to be happening is who's going to be paying for the health care and access to health care in this country. You know, and that's what the Affordable Care Act was allegedly supposed to do is grant greater access you know, but with that came some strings. And just like, you know, on your, your previous segments, you're talking about how the culture is trying to influence us Christians to think the way the society and the culture does. It's the same way with health care. So the government's constantly telling us that, you know, as a Christian, it's okay to violate your conscience, you know, to pay for things we find morally objectionable, like contraception, sterilization, and abortion, and gender reassignment surgeries and the like. So that's kind of what we get bombarded with on a, on a daily basis when it comes to health care. You may not even realize it or not. But then, so what, that's what, we, what Solidarity Health Shared was a response to. Yeah, so we're trying to find an ethical and an affordable way for faithful Christians to pay for their health care so we don't have to pay for contraception, sterilization, abortion. So I see in the next decade that conversation is going to be even, is even more heightened at the individual level. But we're also seeing a trend now is the employer mandate where if you have over 50 employees, you have to offer these insurance products that contain these you know, immoral, immoral issues. 
And then we're also seeing another debate that's really coming up and resurfacing a lot the last couple of years is is the, the deliverer of health care, the providers of health care, where these faithful Catholic doctors and nurses are being forced to violate their conscience and participate in these immoral activities like prescribing contraception or assisting in abortion. And so what kind of conscience rights and protections do they have in our current health care system? So around the conscience piece, it's a pretty big deal. When the, when the culture tries to go through the health insurance to try to influence and basically coerce um, Christians to violate their conscience. Wow, it is such a challenging time for people. I mean, even just deciding what sort of career you want to enter into. I know for so many friends of mine, they want to enter into nursing, you know, getting involved, maybe becoming a nurse practitioner, a doctor, but even just choosing the types of medical schools you work with, or even for many people entering into interviews and maybe they bring up that they won't prescribe or be involved with prescribing birth control. In a lot of places, at least here in San Diego and California, they almost have a door immediately shut on them. And this is why it's so great, because you guys are actually involved in discussions right now with the Trump administration on new policies surrounding health care and transparency rules, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of the second issue, the big debate we're going to be seeing the next couple of years, not only the conscience issue, but the transparency issue. Um, so right now, a lot of people agree that our health care system is broken. You know, we have the best health care system in the world as far as, you know, as far as the care comes. But how it's paid for, that's what's really flawed and broken right now. And so we've had continuous conversations with the Trump administration and Health and Human Services on transparency because the consumer of health care, the providers of health care, and the insurance companies of health care, they really don't know what health care costs. And so that's when we come into the marketplace and our 10,000 families are out there trying to get health care. We're asking for fair and just pricing and transparency when it comes to health care. And that's the Trump administration is doing a, a magnificent job. They're trying to implement new rules and regulations to try to make have the, the lower middle class in particular and the middle class in general to have affordable access to health care. And the Trump administration, just like Solidarity believes, is that transparency is a good start. So if we know exactly how much health care costs, then we can we can shop and, and be more transparent. I'll, I'll give you a, a classic example: is uh, when my son had ankle surgery, we were interviewing a couple surgeons, and one surgeon was very open to a fair and just pricing, and he was willing to give our family and solidarity members fair and just pricing. But another member was going to char- another doctor was going to charge us three times more than what the going market was in the, in the Phoenix area. So it made our decision pretty easy is we wanted to go with the best doctor that's going to protect our conscience rights, that's going to do the best job for my family, but that's also going to be, understand that we also want a fair and reasonable price when it comes to health care. That is excellent. I have on the phone with me right now, Bradley Hahn. He's a co-founder and CEO of Solidarity HealthShare. And if you're not familiar, they're actually an alternative to traditional health insurance. They're Catholic. They have their whole focus on healthcare is centered around the Catholic Church's teaching your health and ethical and affordable alternative is available here with Solidarity. So right now, Brad, we're seeing that we're talking a lot about transparency and pricing, but the reality is, is that a lot of people have no idea what's going to be coming at them in terms of medical bills. So you guys are actually working and looking at the new trends in this upcoming decade of helping to protect patients from surprising medical bills. Yeah, that's uh, that's the big issue, uh, too, in Congress. You're seeing this idea about surprise medical building. So what surprise billing is is when you go to the hospital 
and you think you're paying for X, and then all of a sudden, surprise, you get a bill for Y. That's mm-hmm. usually very expensive. You know, and that, again, I'm using another story with my son's ankle. Um, after the surgery, we had to go to the emergency room because he had some complications. You know, and they tried to bill us um, $4,000 for a 45-minute emergency room visit. Wow. And so we've been constantly battling with them saying, okay, we'll pay this, but give us an itemized bill so we know exactly <laughs> what we pay for. Did we pay... $100 for a box of Kleenexes, which is usually coded as a mucus collection device. <laughs> Did we pay $2,000 for this doctor to come and say hi and goodbye? You know, and so they basically sent us an item I billed and said, um, emergency room consultation, $4,000. You know, wow. and so we're like, no, 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 this isn't going to do it. We want to know exactly what things cost. And so that's what our members do. And we help this on behalf of our members as we look at a bill. The first thing we do with that bill, we look for errors. And usually we can find about 7 to 12% deduction, reduction in that bill just based on medical billing errors. Mm-hmm. Then after that, we try to get what fair and reasonable pricing is for that local area based on what Medicare would pay, what cash would pay, what, what the hospital would accept for, from insurance carriers and such like that. And then we can determine what a fair and reasonable price is. And so that's why we're working with the Trump administration because we would like more data, more information on what, what uh, health care costs in this country so we can be better informed consumers. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm just thinking of a recent story, Bradley. Again, I'm talking with Bradley from Solidarity HealthShare. I had a family member this past summer, and they needed a heart holter. And the heart holter, they could not get any idea of what the heart holter actually cost. They asked the hospital, the nurse, the doctor, the insurance company. They even asked the company that administered the holter. No one would give a response. They finally said, you know what? Things are getting better. I'm just not going to use this heart holter because no one will actually give me any sort of idea of what this costs. And so what Solidarity is doing is you guys are being advocates, again, for that transparency, but also from a Catholic perspective to be responsibly good, uh, essentially good stewards of what we have and how we're spending our health care dollars in a time when we're spending more money than ever on health insurance. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And what we've been seeing at Solidarity when members join Solidarity when they abandon traditional insurance is exactly that. So some of these families, it's very common for a family of four, a family of six, to have a deductible of five to ten to fifteen thousand dollars. And most middle class families, what I'm covering up now is that they don't have even have that in their savings account right now to pay those medical expenses. And so we got uh, much of the middle class now are foregoing and pro- postponing routine medical care because they simply can't afford to pay it because of these high deductibles that we're seeing in insurance. Now, and you know, you know that too, Tim, when you start delaying medical care, that's only when it's going to get worse for your, for your body. Now, could you give a comparison with Solidarity? You guys don't have a deductible, but you call it an unshared amount that is similar to a deductible. What would those numbers be in comparison? Yeah, like my family of four, we, uh, we, our monthly contribution is $549 per month. And our first um, $2,500 annual out-of-pocket cost, that's what we're responsible for financially. And then once the bill, medical bills get above the $2,500 as a family, that's when they're submitted for sharing to Solidarity, and, and, and then it's shared among our members of Solidarity. And that $2,500 is not per visit. It's for the whole year for the family. Correct. It's for the whole year. So that's what you're paying past your monthly payment. Exactly. Yeah. The monthly contributions of 549 and then 
we were responsible for our first $2,500 out-of-pocket costs. Okay, so here's the question. I think this is what's really different about solidarity in comparison to traditional health insurance. You can actually sign up any time. Is that correct? So if someone's between jobs, maybe they're sitting here going, wow, we're expecting a child or we're concerned. We don't want to change jobs yet because, you know, we want to make sure that we have insurance at this time. You can always sign up for health insurance or solidarity or alternative health insurance. Yeah, yeah exactly right. And so that's what we get a lot of, a lot of families signing up. They lose a job. And, you know, with the Affordable Care Act, you can only enroll in an in insurance, you know, November, December timeframe, where we get a lot of families in mid-year that lose a job. Maybe they want to quit the job. Maybe they want to do an early retirement. And they look at solidarity as a way to fund their medical expenses. Excellent. What an awesome resource. And I love it because it's so centered on our Catholic faith, on being morally responsible, ethically responsible, fiscally responsible with how we are spending what we have been given that truly is a gift. So if you want to learn more about Solidarity HealthShare and the incredible work that Brad is doing, please go check out SolidarityHealthShare.org. Again, that's SolidarityHealthShare.org. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit Radiotrending.com. That's Radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 